the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant, Holy Land. Usually, I start the show by saying, as always, with Jordan Williams, uh, Jordan has some family in town this weekend and was unable to record on our normally scheduled date. Unfortunately, due to the circumstances, we tried to record Wednesday, but as we all know, if you live in the Columbus area, power outages spectrum was down so this week it's just going to be me but we've got an absolutely loaded show today to get through it on the schedule we have a huge recruiting weekend we have marcus freeman talking about other schools Uh, i sent out a pretty incendiary tweet about that that i i don't feel like i needed to backtrack on because i think the message is still there but overall i think marcus freeman Young coach, learning on the job. I don't think his comments should be taken too seriously or personally. Once you listen to his context, I think it's really just a situation of uh, poor journalism by Dennis Dodds. And and Marcus Freeman kind of got the brunt of it with those comments. And it's just a lesson for young coaches that your words do carry a lot of weight, especially at an institution like Notre Dame, like Ohio State. And without proper context, anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. So Marcus Freeman, lesson learned. We're going to talk about that in detail because Ohio State's score on the APR really does not back up what he was saying. But, you know, we talked about context on this show. Uh, The next thing on the show, we've got a little fun segment I'm going to do called Ohio State wins blank. And it's wins if, wins a national championship, wins the Big Ten, and so on and so forth. We're going to go through five or six potential what-ifs, kind of like the Marvel show, what if. And it's going to be a lot of fun to go through that one. And then we're going to talk about the article I wrote this week. I think it was a really fun conversation. I'd like to have it on the show as well. Uh, Looking into some stats about Ohio State's offense and defense last year, we could really see a turning point in a lot of games last year. And the Buckeyes will need to improve in that specific area. Then we'll close out the show with final thoughts. What we'll learn after next week's huge recruiting weekend. And I'm excited to get into this show today, but let's get started here with recruiting. Yes. So Ohio state's hosting a long list of visitors this weekend after having a big recruiting last weekend, last weekend, last weekend, they hosted Austin Novosad, Riley Williams, a high four-star tight end, Miles Walker, a four-star offensive lineman, Matayo Uangalele, a five-star edge defender, uh, Darion Goulet, a linebacker, and Daniel Harris, the corner, Daniel Harris, uh, some news right before the show started, just committed to Georgia. So his 
visit was mostly some due diligence to visit all the places he was attending. Uh, this weekend, though, it, it's a loaded group. It's a loaded group, and Ohio State's really going to try to close on a variety of these players. Uh, the first on that list uh, is Brandon Ennis, five-star receiver out of American Heritage High School in Florida. Uh, Brandon Ennis is coming uh, recently. Uh, this was big news. Steve Wolfong changes crystal ball. You've got Noah Rogers from North Carolina, Rollsville High School coming in as well. And then you've got offensive lineman Oluwatozen Babalade, um, Austin Saraveld, who's already committed, Stefa. Stephylon Green, Dijon Johnson, who's also already committed. And then you've got corners, Calvin Simpson Hunt, Jermaine Matthews, Jaden Bonsu, and Joanel Aguero. Apologies on the names. It's kind of hard to read through a list like that. But looking at these players, it's it's quite a, it's quite a list. And both Noah Rogers and Brendan Innes have held crystal balls and multiple predictions to Ohio State for quite some time. And I, I think everyone on the show who listens to it understands that there are a few people in the recruiting industries whose words and their weight on a crystal ball or a prediction hold a lot more weight than others. And Steve Wiltfong's got crystal balls in for both Brandon Innes and Noah Rogers coming to Ohio State. That is 24-7 sports. Steve Wiltfong. This is a huge weekend. I don't I don't think I can go any further without just taking some special time to talk about the two receivers today. Uh, Brandon Innes, uh, he would add to the list of top 50, top 25 wide receivers. Uh, Brian Hartline, Noah Rodgers would add to that top 100 total. Depending on what you use, the 24-7 composite has them both in the top 60 for sure. I uh, haven't checked since the last ratings update. So uh, Brandon Innes, uh, he's a star. And when he was at the Overtime Elite Camp last week, the OT7 tournament in Las Vegas, the, his team, the South Florida Express, absolutely put on a show. That's a team that includes Carnell Tate, Brandon Innes, among many, many others players that are extremely talented. Brandon Innes was the best of them. And when you look at what he brings to the table, he is cut from the same cloth as Emeka Ibuka, as Julian Fleming as a recruit. The bigger body type receiver, very professional, very fundamentally driven, has the athleticism to go with it. So I, I think this is one of those recruitments that I think is going to end sooner than later. I think Noah Rogers is also finishing up his visits next week. Uh, Brandon Innes says he wants to make some visits in the season, so... I think if Ohio State's visit goes incredibly well, I think the momentum can shift in that, and he could come and try to make a decision soon in July or August before his senior season. Noah Rodgers, I really do believe, is going to commit within the next month or so. So I, I keep tabs on him. I think he has his visit with Ohio State. Then next week he's visiting the North Carolina schools just to – you know, show up, make an appearance on campus, see what Mac Brown's selling, see what Dave Dorn's selling. And then I think after that, he's been to both schools enough there. I think he's been to Ohio State enough times to really feel comfortable getting there. And I think you're starting to see why people were so high on this receiving class for Ohio State and the potential of it outside of Brian Hartline. I think both these guys fit the personality 
traits that you want in receivers that you're recruiting at Ohio State. So I, I think this this weekend's huge for that. And I think this weekend is one of those ones that could break the stagnation that the class has held for some time. When you look further into this week of visits, uh, you've got Stephylon, Stephylon Green, uh, who is a player from Georgia. He's taking his final visit to Ohio State, and we always talk about that. You know, people who follow recruiting closely, the final visit, you could really sway a decision. You could really make the kid think. And sometimes the final visit is that. And sometimes the final visit is just that trip to make sure that the decision you've already made is the right decision. Well, Larry Johnson is recruiting this interior defensive lineman. He's big body, really athletic. And I think this would be a type of player that, you know, Ohio State's gotten a few times a really elite type of recruit in the interior. But this is one that you haven't really seen a lot. A lot of the time when Ohio State recruits interior defensive linemen, it's developmental projects. To me, when you look at uh, Steph Elon Green, he is a player who is physically very advanced for his age. And I do believe that Ohio State is very much involved in this one. I think this is one of those visits like I said, with Ennis, that can really shift a decision. Uh, it's going to be really hard to uh, take a player out of Georgia. But I, I think the overall consensus with him is he's interested. I don't think he is uh, Georgia lean at all. I think uh, Clemson's the front runner for him. So I think this is a big this is a big opportunity for Ohio State to get a four star defensive lineman who could play the three technique. He might come in and be able to play the edge depending on what they see in him. So the versatility there is huge, uh, and this list of visitors is filled with high potential players. And the one I'm actually really most excited to talk about is Jermaine Matthews from Winnin Woods High School. Uh, for those of you guys who have been following the camp circuit, for those of you guys who were kind of following uh, Ohio State summer camps a couple weeks ago, Jermaine Matthews was an absolute superstar. At the first camp he went to, he came back, um, camped again, but he got an offer first day, ran a 4-4-40, 4-3-40, uh, was flying on the field. Everyone said he was the best DB at the camp. He was a recruit ranked in the 400s. After receiving the offer, after hearing all of the reports out of those Ohio State camps, he got bumped into uh, the high or the low four-star range. He's in the 300s. But today I saw from one of the LSU recruiting reporters that Jermaine Matthews camped down in Louisiana at LSU. Uh, Bad on Rouge. Uh, word to Garth Brooks. Yeah. And he had an incredible showing there today, uh, once again, showing that he might be the best TV on the field. And I think Cincinnati got it early, and that that's really a testament to, to Kerry Combs. So uh, this is kind of this is kind of one of those recruitments that, yes, Jermaine Matthews started in the 400s, but with his current ability, what he's showing at each camp, this is going to come down to it and I think this is going to become a very national recruitment and I think Jermaine Matthews uh, he's visiting this weekend uh, this is a huge opportunity for Ohio State to slam the door immediately uh, you know Ohio kids they could either be kids who wanted that offer and once they 
are shown how valued they are in the class, they can recruit immediately. And I think this is the type of recruitment that can go that way. If Ohio State doesn't make that impression this weekend, though, I could see the LSUs, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the Georgias starting to take another look at Jermaine Matthews. And this is one of those players that might not be a late bloomer, might not be a late developer, but was late to get on people's radar. And that's the type of player that you can really save your class with. You know he's going to get boosted up in camps. You know he's going to get uh, more offers, and that's going to help his recruiting ranking. So of the recruitments that are important to me this weekend, I don't think you can go much further than Jermaine Matthews. I think you've got the two receivers and Noah Rogers and Brandon Ennis, and you've got Jermaine Matthews. And that that is what's insane about this weekend. And a lot of people – I know it's only June. I know we went through a lot of information, so I kind of wanted to sit here and talk a little bit about the recruiting process. Uh, I think we've, me and Jordan have talked about this quite a bit on the show, actually, where, you know, there was a COVID year where no players were allowed on campus, visits weren't being held, recruiting was all over Zoom. I was actually listening to podcasts today where they were talking about Mel Tucker's class and how he rarely met any of them, transfers or recruits in person. And most of the class was put together through online meetings and Zoom. So that, to me, says a lot. And the reason I bring that up is because players didn't know what the scholarship rules were going to be like. Players weren't really sure about how many spots were going to be available because they didn't know if the season was happening. Players weren't entirely sure about how the recruiting process was going to work if they are ever going to get set foot on campus. And when they had the opportunity to accept and commit to an offer, a lot of them jumped at it. So classes were getting built incredibly early during COVID. Uh, we've seen the last two years, uh, a lot of players have been making sure they're getting to the visits, making sure they're stepping on campus. Because when you look at the players who showed up and then left the school they were at after one year, it's Higher than ever, part of that due to the transfer portal, and I think part of that due to players not really having the full opportunity to do their due diligence and pick up their offers and visits and go through the whole recruiting process. It was picked up the offer, need to make a decision, lock the class in, we'll make sure everything's okay later. I think evaluations were missed. Uh, There was a lot of things that went into it that were missed, and – Overall, it's just, it's not, it was not a conducive environment for college football recruiting, or I mean, a lot of other stuff as we've seen. So I, I, I think it's, it's really big to know uh, this weekend, big weekend. I think this is a big weekend where there's a lot of players just hanging on, you know, they're almost sure they're almost entirely locked into a decision and they just need that final push. I think that's what this weekend's filled with. And I, I think the other half of this visit list is players who are probably going to commit elsewhere uh, but wanted to take a final look at Ohio State. And we've seen with this that uh, visits can sway kids, and that's what they're going to be looking to do with quite a few of these players on the list. So I'll look for some momentum coming out. to Make sure you've got your tweet notifications on for all your recruiting writers that you follow and make sure you've got your subscriptions paid because we're going to see some crystal balls and stuff start flying in after this weekend. 
Uh, moving forward with recruiting, I, and this is going to be a drawn-out segment today because we're in that part of the offseason. Uh, next weekend is going to be the craziest. I don't even really fully want to talk about it because I want to be here. I want to hear Jordan's take. I want to talk about the importance of what's going to happen this weekend, what's going to happen next weekend. Every single year, you know, you've got stuff like the Buckeye Barbecue. You've got those types of recruiting events, and you've got the biggest recruiting events and weekends of the year. Next week, you have a who's who of elite football prospects, uh, just to name a few out of order. You've got Taggett Curtis, Troy Bowles, K.N. Lee, Caleb Downs. you got Rico Flores, Olaus Allenin. Uh, you've got a few guys who are already committed in Josh Padilla, Luke Montgomery, Ty Lockwood. Those guys have been leaders in trying to recruit other players to Ohio State. And you've got quite a few defensive linemen coming in. And this is really when everyone talks about that big weekend for every single school, when you look back on the recruitments of these players, the ones who end up choosing Ohio State June 24 through 26 is going to be a game-changing weekend. I think we saw a few weeks ago what the official visit did to Matayo Uangalele. I think we've seen what it's done with players in the past, and I think we're going to continue to see uh, what's happening when it comes to these players in the next few weeks. These are the types of weekends that recruiting coordinators like Mark Pantone uh, work so hard to, or not recruiting coordinators, and he's not a recruiting coordinator anymore, but generally uh, the general manager is the new term. Uh, this is what they work so hard to set up, so hard to get all these players on campus. You get your class guys, kind of leaders. You know, you got local kids in uh, Montgomery, Padilla, and Hartford all really ready to sell the school and say, hey, we're all good football players. You're all good football players too. You know, Ohio State, they have the reputation of an NFL factory. They just scored 1,000 on the APR. They'll take your academics seriously. Ohio State this is going to be awesome. Uh, so uh, be on the lookout. I mean, this is one of those weekends. Make sure you follow these recruits. Make sure you got your tweet notifications on. They are going to update you themselves. You're going to see emotional reactions. You're going to see the cool pictures. And Ohio State's got a new cool setup. Their team put together a really awesome room of old TVs with classic tapes playing and the players have been taking pictures in front of it. It's got kind of a WWE feel to it. We saw with Mattio and his belt and it was just a really, really cool environment. And I think Ohio state fans should get really excited for these next two weeks, because I think you're going to start hearing a lot of good news coming out of Columbus because this, this is where that recruiting group, this is where Mark Dimmitt Pantone's, this is where, the in-person recruiters, the great ones like Ryan Day, like Larry Johnson, like Brian Hartline, this is where they make that extra money in their contracts. And I'm excited to see what comes of it. So uh, that's pretty much it on the visitors. Uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, I, I wish I had more information from you guys, but these guys are all busy. Uh, they, they're all excited to come. Uh, hearing Brandon Innes talk about it with Steve Wiltfong. Uh, he's incredibly excited for Ohio State, and it felt like he almost slipped up in multiple interviews about who the leader in his recruitment is. So I, I, I'm just saying, get your binoculars on and watch that one closely. Uh, moving forward with the show, uh, me and Jordan, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about it without Jordan here. Uh, Samson Okunlola, 
uh, took an official visit to Michigan State. And it kind of gave me the platform to talk about offensive line recruiting. And, you know, Ohio State is going to recruit Samson hard. I hope they get him on campus. You know, that's really when you know the opportunity to convince a player to come to your school is real is when they want to take an official visit. Uh, Mel Tucker's done and his crew have done an incredible job recruiting Samson Oak and Lola from Massachusetts, kind of an area where there aren't a lot of direct uh, recruiting pipelines. You know, there was a joke a few years ago about how Michigan was building the strongest recruiting pipeline to Massachusetts and Michigan state's actually taking more advantage of it when there's a player of that level of that caliber to recruit. So uh, good on tuck to have that relationship formed, have that relationship built. And I, I just want to take a minute. You know, Justin Fry's done an incredible job. Uh, you know, we landed the top three offensive linemen in the state. If you guys read any of the articles I've written, I talked about that in detail. I know our recruiting writer, Caleb Hauser, also talked about that in quite a bit of detail as well. So looking into the recruitment of that, Justin Fry's done a good job putting the fence up, building that around Ohio. And I think the conversation that needs to be had is the expectation of all the new coaches in closing on some of the highly touted recruits in this class. I think when you look at what Ohio State's trying to build uh, this year with the defensive staff, I think with Tim Walton, I think with Perry Eliano, you know, Jim Knowles, I think they're, I think they're going to need some time. I do. I really do think they're going to need some time to, build relationships and build their plan at Ohio state and recruit at the level. Uh, I know Perry Eliano is probably eating at the whatever. Uh, I, I lost, the, I lost the saying I was going to use uh, chomping at the bit. I was going to say eating at the bit. That's not a real saying. chomping at the bit to lock down the recruitment of some of these players. And, you know, he went from wearing, the Cincinnati patch, which you got to do a little bit more deep diving. You've got to kind of scour the country a little bit deeper to find players that can develop into elite talents. The Sauce Gardeners, uh, the Kobe Bryants, they show up, you know, they're good players. You win some of the higher end recruiting battles, but the general idea is Cincinnati's not going to be landing the five-star recruits. They're, going to probably lose out on most recruits when Ohio State comes in and recruits them, especially locally. And that's a problem. And I think Perry Eliano is very excited to have that opportunity. You look at the other coaches, Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State was recruiting some elite players. I think when you see the way his defense performs, you're like, hey, yeah, I really do want to play for this guy. Now he's at Ohio State. Now he's got these resources. I think he's going to do well. I think he's the one coach who had some very solid relationships at Oklahoma State with some players of that caliber, and he's taking advantage of that with players like Tack and Curtis, and I think that is going to help build this system out quite a bit faster. Tim Walton, NFL, a long time. Going to take a few minutes to get back to recruiting at a high level. I mean, he recruited on those LSU National Championship teams, so he is capable, and I know that was in 2003, but... He has life experience. He's been in the NFL. He knows what it takes to play in the NFL. Recruits love that type of stuff. And I think his love for Ohio State is going to transcend that gap of years, 2003 to 2022. The one coach I think 
this year coming in in January is going to hurt the most in recruiting for a list of reasons. Number one, you had Coach Greg Studera, and I know Jordan's not here. I'm saying his name. Coach Studera. He did not set Justin Fry up for a lot of success nationally. What's that mean? Justin Fry came in in January, had to immediately start trying to build relationships with players like Chase Basantis, players like Samson Alcunola, players who are already committed. You know, it's not easy to come in late to recruitments. It's not easy to not have the established uh, communication. And that that's, that's a huge battle that he is fighting coming in. And I think offensive line is definitely a position of relationship. I think when you talk about relationship with your coach, the offensive line coach and the offensive line truly is a unit. It's like, you know, we talk about Brian Hartline's recruiting. You're coming into the best receiver room in the country. Iron sharpens iron. You know, one receiver gets thrown the ball on a play. One receiver catches the ball on a play. It's fun. Yes, they could feed off each other, and that's cool. But the offensive line truly is a unit. They are five players who need to do their job well every single play for the offense to succeed. And when the offensive line's in sync, that's the best. And you need to have relationships with that. So players like Olausa Lennon, players like Samson Okunlola, Justin Fry was starting behind the eight ball with them. And if he is able to close on one of those two guys, it is going to be an awesome feat. And I think it's going to really help the roster. I think he's going to have to bring in six, seven guys this year. Uh, he probably won't get all of his ideal recruit recruits that like fans would want, but he is going to have to evaluate. He is going to have to build relationships because coming in in January, it makes it harder to go after that guy who's ranked in the three hundreds that might already have accepted a commitment and verbally committed to a school. So, yes, uh, the other positions, you know, they're important. I think you've got a little bit of roster flexibility there. I think you've got a little bit of time. Uh, The offensive line, once again, does not have time. This roster can get thin real quick on the offensive line. So it's going to be the biggest challenge for him. And I think Samson Akinlola and his story with his visit at Michigan State, the priority they put on him, the relationship they've had established for almost two years now. Uh, it's going to be hard to surpass that in some recruitments. And that's just kind of what I wanted to talk about with every coach. Like this is the recruiting world we're living in. And uh, when you bring in new coaches, that's something you run the risk of. Uh, Kerry Combs had a few guys who were very interested in Ohio state when he was let go. Uh, it really did like, slash the relationship with those kids and you have to make that gap up and you have to exceed it and you have to build the same trust that a coach had weeks ago and you know that kid looks at the school like hey man if like the coach does like you're gonna just cut my man out like that it's it's a tough thing to overcome and that's what these coaches are fighting for so uh that's 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 it on that section the last thing steve wolfong's crystal balls mentioned him earlier brandon ennis Arnold Tate, Noah Rogers, all three of them, crystal ball to Ohio State. And Brian Hartline will have done it once again. And I think, you know, you can see his effort. You know, once the Tennessee rumors started coming out, the Tennessee's locked in Carnell Tate. He's hammered his foot down on that recruitment even harder. You know, people were talking about cryptic tweets. You know, people brought up that whole video from the bald guy who used to coach at Ohio State. 
and it's been it was quite it was quite a dramatic recruitment and you know i think carnell tate is a guy who wants to have the opportunity to shine to have the opportunity to be in the spotlight but also has the wherewithal to know that that comes from being the best player and brian hartline's proven it multiple first round picks multiple elite wide receiver seasons You've already seen Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr. have a great game. You've already seen young guys have an impact. So it, it's going to be a big recruitment. But more crystal balls are flowing in for Ohio State. Uh, right before I got on the show, Chad Simmons of On3 Sports lowered his recruiting confidence in Tennessee to a 10 out of 100. I believe On3 does it that way. So uh, there is a lot of moving parts there. Uh, Carnell Tate's commitment is coming soon. So we're going to find out an answer there. And he he could be the first one to actually join the fold for Ohio State if all goes the right direction for the Buckeyes. Uh, either way, he's a man of mystery. So we will not know until he puts a hat on, until he releases his commitment video, and that's going to be it. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully that rundown through recruiting was not too much. Hopefully I made a lot of sense. Hopefully I didn't talk too fast. If so, you guys could lower the speed down to 0.75%. And it'll sound like I'm talking normal if I was talking too fast. But it's hard, you know, filling that extra void. Uh, Before I move on, hope you guys are enjoying this heat wave because I know I'm not. Uh, Good thing AEP did the job, got the electric back running. I could not imagine having no power for two days, so I was very grateful there. Uh, Make sure you guys are keeping your dogs inside, keeping yourselves inside, wearing sunscreen, and... Don't stay out there too long. It's just not its not enjoyable. It's not fun right now. And that, that's going to lead me. That's going to segue me into the advertisement break. So I will see you guys on the flip side. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, all alone today in the Land Grant Holy Land feed doing the Buck Off podcast. I enjoy your company. Uh, if you've listened this far, I appreciate you staying with me. I'm talking to you today. It's not me and Jordan. It's me and you. Uh, We're getting through this show together. And I I think this next conversation topic is going to be incredibly fun. Uh, Nick's uh, botched that. I mean, he talked about another team too. But Marcus Freeman, the head coach of Notre Dame. We all know him, former Ohio State player. You know, earlier in the offseason, I knew once I got the opportunity at Notre Dame, I wasn't going to make the same mistake twice. Uh, You know, he's made snide comments to Brian Kelly. He's made some remarks about Ohio State. He's made some remarks about Cincinnati, about working under Luke Fickle. Uh, You know, he's had a nice, successful career as a defense coordinator, was one of the fastest rising coaches in the country. Uh, Even though he has said those things, the country enjoys his confidence. He has a personality that I do believe uh, resonates with recruits. So, I think Marcus Freeman's really established himself, and I think he's done a lot of things right so far. Uh, But I I think when you look at what he said, and this is from the article by Dennis Dodds at CBS Sport, who interviewed Marcus Freeman, uh, he said, in short, you don't go to class at places like that, uh, Freeman said rhetorically. Uh, So Marcus Freeman saw what got out. James Laurinaitis actually, former Buckeye as well. Notre Dame wants to be Ohio State really bad, if you guys didn't know. 
Uh, James Laurinaitis, former Buckeye, actually was the person who showed Marcus Freeman that the story was getting out of hand. And, you know, Bobby Carpenter, his former teammate, tweeted at him. Uh, It really became quite a bit of a firestorm. And I think this is kind of a lesson for Marcus Freeman. This is kind of a lesson for young journalists everywhere. Uh, When you get quoted or when you quote someone, it is your responsibility to add context, to make sure what you're saying is incredibly crystal clear. Uh, Dennis Dodds did not make the remarks of Mark Freeman very clear. He actually made them quite incendiary, regardless of how you looked at them. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Notre Dame fans are like, well, Notre Dame is a better school. It wasn't really about the better school. It was really about the disrespect to students who do take their academics seriously at any school, you know. Uh, Ohio State, yes, you have those classes with 120 people, 240 people, where you could slip through the cracks a few days out of the year. Uh, I'm not going to admit to doing that or not doing that, but it, it, it really is. It's a state school. It's got a lot of students. You have classrooms, general ed classes, where you have almost 200, 250 kids in a single lecture hall, and it is does not make for an environment of at all times of promoting high level academics. It's about learning the information on the board and reciting that information on your midterms. And I think when you listen to Marcus Freeman go on 97, one, the fan, and I think Maureen juice did a great job asking him about it. And Marcus Freeman luckily was talking to a friend in Bobby Carpenter. So I felt like he was pretty candid. He said, I was misquoted by Dennis Dodds. I didn't, mean any disrespect to my alma mater i would never disrespect ohio state like that i'm very proud of my time at that school and you know it's endearing to hear a coach when they know they stepped in it walk it back and you know backtracking whatever you want to call it isn't always a bad thing i think marcus freeman's a young coach he's learning on the job and in a few minutes we're going to go over some coaches recently and not so recently who have said some stuff and it's been very regretful. Uh, but I, I think I think the key to this, uh, Marcus Freeman is selling Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman has made the comments that Notre Dame is Jay-Z. Uh, don't worry about just the main thing. Worry about the next 40 years building your empire. Notre Dame could provide that. Notre Dame, we're the Golden Domers. We've got a $90 billion endowment because somehow they made a ton of money investing their endowment and I, I don't know how it works i don't know how endowments fully work i'm not a donor to endowments i'm not at that level yet but it it, it was and, and if you're listening to this i know there's people probably like seething with anger i know there's people who are probably like yes yeah, and that big of a deal but the lesson is don't talk about other schools period and I think Notre Dame fans are going to lean into that. Like, yes, we are a better academic institution. And, you know, 30 spots in the U.S. News and Report, great. Uh, I I know there are better schools out there in the country than Ohio State that I didn't apply to. Uh, And I know Ohio State is a great school, so it's no sweat off my back. But when you bring the bulletin board material out, it is hard to dissolve it. And... I I do think when you look at Ohio State, they have 
really taken a focus and under Urban Meyer, it really started in 2014, 2015, the academics started getting much better. The school was demanding more from the program. And once you continued forward under Ryan Day, it's taken another step of emphasis. It's a big thing. They are recruiting. And um, I think when I was looking into the data, uh, I think it was 75% to 80% of players in the top 100 over the last three or four years could qualify for Notre Dame academically. So uh, it's not like when you're talking about top 100 recruits that not all of them aren't taking their high school academics seriously. And whatever happens when they get to school is what happens when they get to school. But uh, this is a conversation that should have never happened uh, for a lot of reasons. I, I really do think Dennis Dodds owns a lot of the blame here. I do think Marcus Freeman talking about another school, just the comment itself, you don't go to a class at a place like that. Like, what are you saying that for? You went there. And I loved in the comments that uh, someone on an 11 Warriors article posted, I wrote a paper for Marcus Freeman when he was at Ohio State. And it kind of proved both points that Marcus Freeman probably should not be saying that. And also that Ohio State in 2003 did not take academics as serious. Uh, I did not know Bobby Carpenter was an adjunct professor at the business school, which is something he mentioned uh, on air both and on Twitter, uh, seeing that J.K. Dobbins would be walking out of class there. Uh, so I, it's, it's really a messy situation. Uh, I, I don't think Freeman is a bad guy. I don't. I know Freeman, and I know coaches need to sell their school. I know they need to sell things that are different. And there are players and there are parents who are going to want that type of environment, that community that Notre Dame has where you're in South Bend. And I think both Bobby Carpenter and Marcus Room brought it up. It's in the middle of nowhere. You're forced to enter that community. You can't go to Notre Dame and not be a part of it. And, you know, there's probably less 200-person lecture halls and lectures, but it's college. You know, there are classes. There are big classes and I'm not going to be one to say Notre Dame has every student have perfect attendance because it's just not real. Uh, you could avoid stuff. And, yes, Notre Dame, you know what? You should be proud that you haven't got to the 21st century, no online classes, whatever that means. Uh, congratulations. Uh, you just make it harder to access, ed- access education. You make it harder to for students with schedules where they have to work and do all these other things, you make it harder for them to access their school that they're paying for. I mean, that's something to be proud of, honestly. And I think education is about access. So uh, Notre Dame is not pro educational access and they'll tell you that to their face. I mean, they're like, Hey, if you can't get in, you don't deserve education from here. Um, But Hey, that's them. Uh, Final thoughts on Vargas Freeman, young coach, interviewed with Dennis Dodds. I mean, that was his first mistake. We've seen Dennis Dodds misquote. Like I think Dennis Dodds was like the person who wrote the article about Dabo Sweeney, like saying Ohio state's ranked 11th. Like I think he was the one who took that candid response and made it into the flame throat. So if you say something to Dennis Dodds without incredible context, uh, he's going to write what he thinks you mean. And it is not going to be good. 
So, uh, Marcus Freeman, I, I think Ohio State fans, it's another reason to get excited for game week one. Uh, I, I think backtracking is great. But let's go through some coaches talking. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, first on the list, Nick Saban. Uh, he got caught by it. You know, he was at a meeting for boosters and brought up Texas A&M buying their recruiting class. Jimbo Fisher then the very next day came back and yelled about Nick Saban said pretty much that Nick Saban was dead to him. SEC media days comes. We're done with it. Ooh, whatever. Uh, it's not over. Uh, I think Jimbo Fisher is a guy who should have stayed quiet. Let the media rip apart the king of college football Nick Saban and then if you win the game you're a folk hero who beat the bad guy who's talking about other schools but no now you got in the dirt with them uh you did the same disrespectful thing that you got mad about and I think that's the lesson he learned Dabo Sweeney need I say more uh, he's got a lot. Uh, you know, he said it about Alabama. He said it stuff about Ohio State. Uh, said stuff about Notre Dame. You know, the list continues to grow. It goes on and on and on. Uh, the most notable ranking Ohio State 11th in the coaches' poll before Clemson had to play them. Uh, we all know how that went. Uh, so, uh, lesson learned there. Uh, so, Ryan Day. You guys didn't think I was going to bring it up, but as an impartial media member at times, I got to bring up Ryan Day. I got to be fair. I got to be equal. And Ryan Day did say he was going to hang 100 on them. Who was them? We all know who it was. That team up north. Congratulations. Ryan Day, guess what? There is COVID, you know. They missed that year when he actually said it. But, you know, if you say something like that, uh, the next time you play on the field, it is still going to be held against you. And he did say that, and he did lose that game. So uh, lesson here for all coaches, you know, the best thing to do is keep it to your program. Talk about the school you coach out, the coach at. Marcus Freeman, talk about Notre Dame. Nick Saban, talk about Alabama. Jimbo Fisher, talk about Texas A&M. Uh. Dabo Sweeney, talk about Clemson. Ryan Day, let's keep it in-house this time. And that is really what it is. Uh, the other news out of this is, guess what? Ohio State scored a perfect 1,000 with the academic progress report. So what that means is Ohio State's improved their graduation rates. They've improved their overall GPA. Uh, they meet all NCAA requirements, and they've improved to the point where they're system is working perfectly uh they're bringing back players to graduate they are creating an environment that the ncaa says is taking academics seriously and i know there's probably a lot of gray areas in that still but it's incredibly funny how marcus freeman and a bunch of people came after ohio state's academics and then the very next day perfect apr score and that's it for that conversation there. Uh, next on the list, we've got a fun game here. Uh, Ohio State wins. Uh, so I, I think when I look at this, uh, we're going to go Ohio State wins a national championship here uh, if they do this. And I, I think when you really talk about football, 
Uh, it's a matter of winning a national championship is a matter of having as little errors and as little mistakes and as good as health as you possibly could have. Uh, so Ohio State wins first if the offense becomes more balanced. The best team Ohio State's had in history was arguably the 2019 Ohio State team that ended up losing to Clemson in the college football playoff. Uh, they had like 500 yards of total offense. They averaged 250 yards throwing. They averaged 250 yards rushing. They had J.K. Dobbins. They had Justin Fields, an elite quarterback, an elite running back. Go back to 2014. Uh, it was much more run-centric, but you had the quarterback run as a main part of the offense. And J.T. Barrett did get it done throwing the football after the Virginia Tech game incredibly well. So when you look at Ohio State, if they become more balanced offensively, it really allows you to eat clock. It allows you to score fast. It opens up the passing game for shots. It opens up the passing game. And you keep the defense off balance. This past season, there were games where C.J. Stroud would throw for 400 yards. The running game would get stagnant. You couldn't really trust it on first down. Against Michigan, that was the case. Against Oregon, that was the case. Against Utah, that was the case. It was just C.J. Stroud throwing darts. The running game got going a little bit in the middle parts of the game in the second and third quarter, but overall it was about quarterback play and being an elite air attack. And Ohio State's not an air raid school. Ohio State's not an air raid program. That is not how they're built to win football games. When you look at what Ryan Day wants, he wants to have at minimum a 60-40 split offensively of yards. So 300 passing yards, 200 rushing yards. That is his ideal metric. Uh, Even more ideal would be 250, 250, and you're playing a natural game where you're hammering first downs, running the football. You're throwing it over the top and making some big plays in that regard. When you're in third and long, you make a nice pass. Uh, But I think what Ryan Day was unable to do last year, hand the ball off on third and six, hand the ball off on third and two, and confidently say, we're going to get these two yards. Improving the run game against better defenses, against better different schemes, gap schemes, you know, uh, it, it, it will be huge dividends. And I think Ohio State can get back to winning the Big Ten, get back to winning a national championship if the offense becomes more balanced. We saw when Ohio State hammered Clemson. Justin Fields throwing at an elite level. What else? Trey Sermon running the ball at an elite level. That is what you need to be great teams. You need to be able to keep teams off balance. If you want to beat Georgia, if you want to beat Alabama, if you want to dominate your conference, you need to be good at everything. You need to be multidimensional offensively. You cannot be predictable. And that is where Ohio State needs to be better. Next on the list, Ohio State wins a national championship if the defense can create more turnovers. So looking at the stats here, uh, the reason I bring this up, Ohio State ranked 39th in takeaways per game with one and a half. That is not good enough when you look at teams like Georgia, who were very high in that category uh, while also having a productive offense. You know, when you take into account the opponent interception thrown percentage, Ohio State ranked 63rd in the country in interceptions last year. Uh, That is terrible. So 
when you look at the turnover margin per game, uh, it was 13th. Uh, that takes offense and defense into consideration. So uh, they were able to make quite a few takeaways, and it was a place where the Buckeyes struggled in forcing turnovers. You know, I didn't have the strip sacks. They didn't have the interceptions. You know, I think when you look back, once again, a few years ago, you had David Arnett, you had Jeff Akuda, you had Jordan Fuller, you had players who were making plays in the passing game. You had Chase Young getting strip sacks, you know, and that is a huge difference into what we have right now and what Ohio State had last year. So Ohio State wins a national championship if they could become a dominant turnover-forcing team. Uh, you know, you get into the top 30 in interceptions. You know, you get into the top 10 in turnover margin. You get into the top 10 in takeaways per game, and you become an elite football team that way. So uh, when you look at it over and over again, you see stats like this, and we're going to have a really big stat conversation here. It'll be the last big segment of the show, but turnovers. Ohio State, if they get better at winning the turnover battle at this type of stuff, the Buckeyes defense will come back. Uh, Next on the list, uh, you've got Ohio State will win a national championship if the linebackers play to the level that is expected. What's that mean? Well, let's take a look at opponent yards per rush. They're 27th in the country, 24th in the country, 24th against country. But against teams like Oregon, against teams like Michigan, against teams who had a dominant running game, They were giving up over six yards per carry in each of those games. They gave up long touchdown runs in each of those games. They could not stop a team on third and short in any of those games. So it is a place where the linebackers, when you look at the rushing stats, need to improve and be elite. I think you could really trust the secondary. I'm very confident in the secondary. Uh, The defensive line plays a big part in this too. If you can get that, group that unit of linebackers the front seven playing at an incredibly high level this team this defense can get back to being great because I think at times last year you know a lot of it was on the scheme and when you fix the scheme you're going to fix where these players go and where these players are I think you've got a deep unit with Steel Chambers Tommy Eichenberg CJ Hicks so on and so forth so I'm excited. I'm excited for this group, and I think these numbers are ones you could see legitimate improvement on. Uh, Ohio State wins the national championship if they have a second Heisman contender not named C.J. Stroud. I'm not saying it has to be a defender, but that would be nice. Uh, I think if you have Jackson Smith and Jigba in the conversation, if you have Travion Henderson in the conversation late in the year, uh, it's going to be – monumental i think having two options playing at best player in the country level is exactly how you take that step to get to the national stage get to the national championship i think you're gonna have that um and i think having that type of player on the offense is what will separate it the number uh five on my list ohio state wins a national championship if they don't have a let-up game on their schedule. Uh, you know, last year was the marquee matchups. 
you know, they lost to Oregon, they lost to Michigan. They're two marquee games in their regular season schedule. They both fell. I don't think you're going to have Ryan Day taking any opponent lightly. I don't think you're going to have it feel like there was a lack of preparation this year. I don't feel like you're going to have a midseason defensive play calling shift this season. So when I look into this more, uh, the Buckeyes, uh, it's going to be not losing a game in the middle of October that they shouldn't lose. You know, you think Iowa, you think Purdue, avoiding that fate is crucial. Uh, it gives you margin for error. It gives you one potential loss to a good team, and you'll still have the opportunity to redeem yourself. So when you look deep into this, Ohio State wins a national championship. If they become more balanced, create more turnovers defensively, the linebackers become elite players in the run game. You, um, yeah, and it's really just a list of ideas here. And I'd like to hear yours. Ohio State wins a national championship if. And I think I'm going to do this segment next week with Jordan to see what he says. But the Buckeyes will win a national championship if they play elite on both sides. Have They have the quarterback. They have the receivers. It's about the offensive line. It's about the defense. And that's where we're going to find answers to those questions week one. So, yeah, and to build on that conversation, uh, I, I was kind of I, I always try to peek through some stats, uh, try to find some offseason content, and you know I, I saw a film article about Ohio State's third downs, and I, I wanted to look deeper into the statistics on it. I wanted to look at how Ohio State fared on third down on both sides of the ball in games they lost, and. To my surprise, not really, it was not a surprise by any means, Ohio State struggled and made mistakes. And they had a lot of failures on third down. Um, Looking at the stats here, and this is going to be an offense and defense one because, I mean, it was bad on both sides of the ball. Uh, And I think when you look at what Ohio State wants to do, they need to be better on in third down situations. When you look at third down, uh, this is where we go. We're going to look at the games they struggled in. So offensively, I think we could run down the list on where they struggled. Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, Nebraska, Tulsa. Uh, 44% third down percentage against Michigan. 35% against Penn State, which was – Arguably the most frustrating game of the season. Oregon, 40%. Nebraska, 47%. Tulsa, 54%. And they stopped needing to go for it on third down because they started getting the ball rolling quite a bit offensively. Uh, Total, 34 out of 77 in those five games for 44%. 44 44.16%. If you looked at that and ranked it, it would be in the 30s or 40s in the country for third down efficiency. Uh, When you look at the defense and the games they struggled in, and I think we could all assume that most of them are the same game, uh, you've got Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, Purdue, Tulsa, Utah. Uh, This is the opponent's third down efficiency. Uh, Michigan went 5 for 8 on third down. Penn State went 11 for 16, good for 69.75%. Oregon went 8 for 6, 50%. Purdue went 5 for 10, 50%. 
Tulsa, 9 for 17, 52%, almost 53%. Uh, we get that. Utah in the first half was above 50%. In the second half, 5 for 12, or not in the game, 5 for 12, much worse off in the second half, 41.67%. And total, 64.18%, which guess what? would have been the best rate in the country. So against any team with an offensive pulse last season, Ohio State was ranked in the worst third down efficiency. And I'm not saying that they were – I mean, their team's probably worse against these schools. But generally speaking, being in a five-game stretch over a five-game period, 64% on third down. I didn't look into the other games. Ohio State won those games pretty handedly. These games really told the story of the struggles and why Ohio State struggled. And being in the bottom 25% on offense, being in the bottom 25% on defense in these games, it shows you exactly where these games were lost. It was on the big downs. Sustaining drives, uh, big plays. You know, you never want to punt in your own half. It's a win for the defense. It changes field position. And that is why third down is so important. It is the most important down in football. Being successful in it can change your season. Being bad on third down can hurt your season. And I am not the only genius seeing these this data. This is what coaches look at. When they go through every single play, they see what Ohio State lines up in. They see what Ohio State likes to run in situations. Third and short, they know exactly what they're going to do, and that's another part of the issue. Ryan Day was very predictable on third down. Formation-wise, Ryan Day lines up under center, it was a run. Very rarely was it a pass. Ryan Day lines up in pistol, it was going to be stretch or it was going to be a split zone. There were no passes in the games that were marked. So look into it. It's not good. It was very easy. It is not something you need an advanced data analytics degree to find. Uh, This trend, look at two losses in there. Multiple close games. And that, to me, says everything you need to know about The biggest place Ohio State needs to improve next year, I've got an article coming out that goes into much more detail this week. But for the Buckeyes, third down, the money down. It's 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 not it's not it's brutal out here. It's it's really just not something you want. And we saw that last year. And uh, this is where if Ohio State improves on like offense and defense, it's going to be the place you notice it the most. Like, yes, Ohio State had an incredible yards for play offense. Yes, Ohio State put up a ton of yards. They were also aided by big plays. They did not have the ability at times to make long sustained drives, which allowed teams like Penn State to get back into the game, allowed teams like Purdue to hang around, allowed teams like Michigan to really get out in front and get a lead. And like Oregon, they got out in front and it was incredibly hard to mount and come back because it let Oregon's defense get comfortable. Uh, even looking back on it, week two, like uh, Oregon's uh, elite linebacker, Noah Sewell, he uh, was able to identify plays immediately, attack them, and third and short, it was not great. Uh Ways to fix this, physicality, both sides of the ball. Third and two, you know what's coming. Are you running man coverage? The guys on the outside have the receivers. 
the guys inside the box better have the running back. Uh, when you look at it on offense, the offensive line needs to get a push. Backs, uh, it was very bad last year. Playing guards at guard is going to be incredibly helpful for the Buckeyes. Uh, looking at it, don't be scared to throw in third and short. Don't be scared to run on third and short. You cannot coach football scared. You cannot coach football with tendencies. I guess you could have your few tendencies, but generally, if a guy – a Twitter film expert can identify trends as easily as some did. It is not good because I could tell you Mike McDonald, Brent Pry, good defensive coordinators are able to identify that stuff and find ways to attack it even better than those guys. So it's, it's not rocket science. It is coaching football and it is something that Ohio state needs to improve on. And that takes me to my final thought. It's been an hour. Let's get out of here. Uh, what we're going to learn from this huge recruiting weekend and next week's huge recruiting weekend, we're going to really learn how Ohio State's class is going to finish up. The Buckeyes are looking and the Buckeyes are selling and Ohio State can really, is this going to be a class with that 95 player average? Is it going to be a class with that 93 player average still in the top five, but there are classes definitively better. We saw what Texas A&M did last year. I can tell you right now, it probably won't be a class of that level. But Ohio State has a clear path to the 300s uh, and to the 320s even. And if they hit and get and land the recruits that many experts believe they're going to land uh, this weekend and next weekend are going to be huge, impactful parts of how they get there. So uh, make sure... You keep updated. I appreciate you guys sticking through it with me. Uh, There was not a lot to talk about this week, but I tried to fill out this show the best I could on my own. You know, it's it's fun. We always go on tangents. We always debate separate things. I think Jordan's really good at asking questions uh, that come up as we talk through stuff in the show. Uh, I, I was just, I mean, I was talking to you guys. I, I enjoy talking about Marcus Freeman. I, I I wanted to give you guys something fun. And I hope I did that. Uh, before you guys go, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at BuckoffPod uh, and at Chris Rennie CFB. Uh, I've been using my personal account a little bit more for college football conversation, and I'm using the Buckoff Podcast page more for tweets about the show, tweets about content that's going to be on the show, and I'm kind of shifting what the accounts are used for. Uh, anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed spending time with me today. Uh, hopefully we'll have Jordan back next week. And from here on out, uh, the, the off season, I mean, the recruiting season's here. So let's keep it up. Let's see what happens. It's going to be a fun time. I'll catch you guys next week. Same time. Adios.